I'd been in transportation logistics before this uh, for about four years and really understood the impact of, uh, of commercial vehicles and understood that, you know, there's a lot of new emerging technology, especially, especially uh, working for one of the largest uh, component manufacturers to the OEM space. And, you know, I felt like, you know, as the technologies continue to evolve, you know, I was very fortunate that I had firsthand knowledge of a lot of the developments that were going on. And I knew based upon, you know, a lot of the, you know, the telematics and data-driven analytics that we were doing um, on the in the department that I was working with, that electric vehicles um, and alternative fuels, by the way, not just electric, those technologies continue to evolve. And when I did make the jump over to Motive, I felt like it had evolved enough to where I could come in and, and be a part of a grow, emerging industry, but yet not hit it too late to where I felt like I missed out on on the evolution uh, and the transformation of commercial vehicles. Yeah, timing is important, right? You can be too soon, you can always be too late, right? Yeah, I've been both, um, you know, and being too early is probably way worse than being too late. Uh, but, you know, I, I really felt like, you know, there was enough technology providers out there that wasn't a single source, there wasn't just a Tesla out there that was making waves. Um, so, you know, when that started to happen and lots of money started to go into it, that's when I knew that, you know, there was a good opportunity for a couple of these companies to come out and really displace some of the more traditional um, manufacturers of cars and vehicles out there. So just going back, you make this move and you go over to Motive and friends and family who may be outside the industry are like, hey, Gary, what are you up to? How did you explain to them the the company, the vision, why you chose to go there? When I explained it, I understood, you know, the journey that Motive had been on. And Motive had actually, in its inception, was too was too early to the market. And they had actually had a different business model where they were trying to be a supplier to tier ones. And they wanted to help the tier ones um, carry the the uh, the baton across the finish line into um, new technologies like electrification. Um, early early projects into those arenas didn't really bear a lot of fruits. Um, the design and the um, and the very conservative nature of a lot of the OEMs were preventing. Um, them from really embracing the technologies of the future. And uh, our founder um, decided, you know what, I can go out and do this. Um, we can go out and do this better. And, you know, there's a great passenger car company called Tesla that's doing it today. And so we feel like we can make this pivot and go out and actually go direct to customers and take start taking wallet share from the more traditional um, sources that that had been around for for decades. So I really appreciated the fact that they had tried one route, um, doors got shut on them, but they didn't give up. So they decided to reinvent themselves. They went out and find bodybuilders that then would go out into niche applications to then go out and get efficacy around uh, electrifying things like school buses was, was some of the first ones that we did. And through that really got the momentum um, and and really got efficacy from the market that, hey, we, we're more than willing to take this on. And, and we see our vehicles being transformed into, into electric and alternative uh, fuel vehicles. And, and 
that to me is, you know, is the DNA of, of a great company. There's going to be a lot of failures, but the way that an organization and leadership picks themselves back up and refocuses and goes back out and, um, and gets that win. Those are the things that I really appreciated about uh, the leadership of this team. And, you know, in, anytime they're down, you know, they're good about bringing everyone together and really focusing and honing in everyone's efforts to, um, to get a win. And that was yeah, really evident. You have a couple of different use cases uh, with these vehicles. Do you want to talk about a little bit of, about like what some of the initial customer bases look like and, and just who's working, partnering with Motive right now? Yeah, some of the initial um, marketplaces that we got into were school bu buses. Um, quite honestly and candidly, the reason why we got into school buses was because there's a lot of funding around that. They were willing to bear the cost um, that it was going to require to manufacture an electric vehicle, which is a very premium product, especially at that time. Uh, the second market segment um, that we started to go into were the linen business. Um, the linen business is a, is a very unique business to where you leave full and you come back probably even more full. Um, and electrification is, is a really great application for that because, because of the torque that the motors can provide um, and getting something heavy up to speed very quickly um, is, is a very great um, task for um, electrification. So, you know, those two verticals were, were, were set up um, and we just happened to show up at the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, do do you think in those early those early conversations where they're saying, "Yeah, we'll we'll do this. This is um, we'll be one of the early ones to this." Were they looking at total cost of ownership? Were they just was there pressures on them to to go there? Did you just have such a compelling case? Like, what do you think it was that kind of spurred them to take a step when others maybe weren't willing to? I think the willingness to understand what they are trying to overcome, um, you know, school districts are very complex and not only do you have the administration of the school districts, but you've got things like PTAs and other, um, and other bodies that are very um, involved with, um, with the day-to-day -day operations um, and oversight of school districts. And there was a lot of things that people are hearing from, um, you know, from uh, anxiety from the drivers, um, you know, having big vehicles, having to muscle them around to the fumes um, and exhaust coming off of it to the road noise that over time, you know, would start to, you know, introduce um, some, some health issues. And, you know, hearing those things, you know, people kind of like eh, not to dismiss it, but uh, when you when you start to really boil it down and and understand if those are really your true applications, let's let's assign some values to those. And a lot of the value was the values that we assigned to those at that point in time were just days missed of work. And if we could, in a driver sort of situation, if we could not only make their life better, but we could cause them to miss less work. And and by doing that, if we remove the missions, um, vibrations and noise um, from the day-to-day -day operation of the vehicle, um, we felt that that was a good start. Uh, and then, by the way, the ancillary benefits are that we're fleeing, uh, freeing fleets from uh, fossil fuels. And you know, my as our founder always says, he he wants to run vehicles on sunshine. And you know, who who doesn't get us? Who doesn't who doesn't smile after saying something like that? But but it's really true. That that was that's really the mission that we have. And and it's not just about doing the right things. There's a lot of other things that come into play 
when in when when making the transformation over to electrification that you inherently get um and you know we listened to them and that's what we did we put the vehicle together based upon that um we used an if you know an roi formula of days missed and it just so happened to pencil out well enough <laughs> to where they're willing to take a risk at it and and you know the the also great other great profile school buses that they're a perfect um, they're a perfect um, profile for electrification especially early on in the journey because you know they were going less than fifty miles a day, less than ten thousand miles a year. So at that time, you know, you're using nickel sodium batteries. It's you know getting a vehicle up to a hundred you know fifty to hundred miles was even getting up to hundred miles was really hard. So you know you needed to find applications that you could put this technology in and not oversell it. And that's what a lot of thing happens when you see in technologies, solar is a great example of it. You put it into a position of failure, you oversell it. And all of a sudden it, it takes a lot longer for the viability of the product to come to market because now you've got to go back and, and overcome a lot of the objections that had been um, probably prematurely put into the industry. Yeah. Before you and I had had a chance to talk, I, you know, obviously the carbon aspect of this is, is right there. It's obvious, right? Yeah. And I assume that there was a compelling dollars and cents case where total cost of ownership is just continues to go down. Right. So it's just going to get yeah. better every year probably, but I didn't expect you to talk about the driver experience. It seems like almost one of those like happy, I mean, maybe it was intentional, but it seems almost like this happy accident where you have all these passengers who say, Hey, we prefer this. And you have employees who are saying, I prefer this. And you end up creating basically all these, you know, advocates of varying degree of sway that they have, but you have all these people who are like, Hey, we all prefer this, you know what I mean? And so that, that has to be beneficial. And as you know, sometimes it just comes down to what people like just as much as dollars and cents occasionally, you know, occasionally it does. It does. And, you know, understanding, you know, if you want to get into the psychology of, you know, what a driver is, you know, you, the understanding from their perspective is that you can't use words to convince them. So you're just going to have to get them and, you know, get the the person, you know, holding that steering wheel As always said is the most important person that you need to get um, your feedback from, because if you can make them happy and they say, I only want to drive this vehicle. Well, then the, the fleet owners and the owners of the organization are going to say, well, I'm going to buy those vehicles because I don't want these people to leave. And that that's the hard part is getting them to overcome it. That's why when we deliver every vehicle, we do driver training. Even if they already have vehicles in the fleet, the opportunity for us to sit there and to actually take the time to show drivers, especially new drivers, the, you know, what the benefits are and, and how great it is to drive an, a, an EV and to continually get better at it. Uh, we we've, we take a lot of pride in that. Um, but it's then after you do that, you start to see all that, that great positive feedback. You know, we even have a lot of our, organizations that use it for recruiting drivers tend to be on the older side um and you know with through electrification we've we've seen some studies where you know it's brought the the age gap down 15 20 years if you guarantee them they get to drive an electric vehicle because that's what that generation cares about and they want to be a part of organizations that don't just talk about it but embrace it and by the way they love they love gadgets <laughs> that's the, it is a gadget generation and you know electric vehicle is seemingly it is one of those gadgets um that they really like and it, it's been working really well the drivers don't get fatigued the drivers always feel like something is wrong with the vehicles because they hear squeaking and noises that they've never heard before 
Um, but as we always get called out and start listening to the vehicles and take them on drives, uh, we realize that it's literally a lot, a lot of the, the shelving and stuff in the back of the box that they'd never heard before because of an exhaust pipe, they now hear. Um, but at the end of the day, the vibrations from their hands, they don't feel it anymore. They they use one pedal driving. Like, you know, we've got um, large retail chain doing 200 stops a day and they don't put their foot on the brake the entire day. Um, so, you know, the so from, you know, the availability from, you know, just the benefits of, you know, having clean air and not burning fossil fuels to being able to hear things around you now um, to, you know, the the vibrations that coming off the string wheel in the seat, they're no longer prevalent anymore. Um, and we never really started off with that. But the great thing is that those things have started to come into it. And we, we tend to take in and really push that into our conversation so that they're aware of it. And when they do, when we do get the vehicles in their hands and they validate it, it's a really great experience. Yep. What What's the feedback that you're hearing from customers uh, in terms of like integrating it into their systems, right? Because the, the way you maintain it, the way you charge it, the way you train on it, the way you drive it, all of those things are a little different, right? And I'm sure that's some of the apprehension in the early days is, okay, what's this look like? What are you hearing now that you've got people who have been, you know, driving these vehicles for now years? What has that feedback changed or is it still, is it difficult? Is it getting easier? Are they actually saying, Hey, actually we like the the new way of doing things. What are you hearing? Um, I think it's getting more difficult, not because the drivers are not embracing them and that they're not receiving them well, but it's our infrastructure is aged is so aged um, for for this whole revolution through electrification to happen. There's just got to be so many uh, infrastructure upgrades to be able to, to 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 take on this capacity of of um, vehicles that folks want to put on uh, on the grid. You know, and you hear all these you know buzzwords like vehicle to grid, using your vehicle as a battery backup. All, all those things are great, but you still have to get energy into the vehicles so that you can do all those great things. And if you can't get energy into the vehicles or the amount of time that it takes to get energy into the vehicles makes them not a viable um, application, really gets to be complex. So, you know, our number one thing is I think everyone buys the electrification um, story now. They, they get it. They understand that it's here. California's done a really good job of um you know of make of showing that it can be done and that it's the right thing to do but when we go and we try to you know do larger deployments you know and when i say large i'm saying like 60 vehicles um at a at a location a lot of locations can't can't handle that kind of um that, that kind of um charging capacity so they have to pull in circuits and then when they pull in circuits that takes time um, and then they have to get permits and then they have to actually get the infrastructure in so the the hard part for them is they're really into it they're really vested into it there's a lot of incentives that they're out that are available to them now they get the vehicles and then they don't have the infrastructure to do it you know so we've got you know a really major brand in in detroit and and they've got 30 of them on there but they don't have enough energy there. So each one of those vehicles, when they're parked there, if they keep them plugged in, instead of it taking, you know, four to, to seven hours for them to, to, to charge overnight, it's taking two days because they're only having, you know, a quarter of what the chargers can do. So 
that to us is is has been one of the biggest pain points in electrification is how do we get the infrastructure in there how do we get the right infrastructure in there how do we understand what infrastructure is the best for which and how do we make sure when they're domiciled that that they're being um um handled the right way so they're ready to work um when the person shows up the next day that's that's quite honestly has been the the, the much harder part to this and it's what's slowing it down uh, yeah, and there's a lot more organizations that want more um, electric vehicles, but if they can't get infrastructure in, they they can't utilize or use them. Yeah, it's one of the pains of being on the leading edge is that you make progress and then you see the next obstacle, and sometimes you yeah. have control over it, sometimes you don't. That's absolutely right, and this is a prime case for that. Is there anything that you think the general public needs to be aware of uh, in those regards? I mean, you're talking about something that is not going to be easily resolved for some. For some people, is there is there enough awareness on this? I think there is. I, I, I think people are talking about it. Uh, I think people understand the grid is is strained um, with all the brownouts and blackouts that go across the country, especially in the summertime, summer months when it gets to be very hot. Uh, I think people are are very cognizant of it, and I, I see a lot of creative ways to address it it's not just hey let's put more capacity at the grid level um you know we starting to, we're starting to see depots putting you know solar on their vehicles we're starting to see battery backups at those vehicles we're starting to see companies want um grid independence so when things do go down they've got options that made available to them albeit maybe not at a um, 100% capacity but um you know it's some shape whether it be 50 percent of capacity keeps their employees moving keeps their products going so they love the idea and the flexibility around uh, um, around electrification because of solar and some other technologies um, but it, we, those things are also expensive um, so you know it, it to get into this is not an easy um, decision and we've been spoiled up to to date because we've we've spent, you know, billions, if not trillions in, you know, petroleum infrastructure, um, whether it be gas stations or um, what have you. And, you know, we, they, we haven't been able to catch up on this side for this transformation. And then if you enter throwing hydrogen into the mix as well, you know, that's, um, you know, that's also going to be a challenge because those are big facilities and um, they're going to require um, a lot because that's very new. So I think that there's going to be some very creative ways for, us to solve this. And I'm not quite sure what it is. I don't think it's just going to be one. I think they're going to continue to to make improvements on the grid, but I think that we're going to start seeing other technologies, whether it be solar, wind, um, thermal, um, start to take hold and, and to help supplement. And I don't think there's going to be one right answer anymore. And we might even see more homes having solar where they're giving energy back to the grid. And then through smart charging, I think it will allow us to use AI to really help optimize it um, based upon, you know, driving behavior, based upon vehicles being home or not home, you know, learn that learned behavior. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of really neat optimization that you can do that will, that will lend itself to this technology. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but personally, every time I feel like we run into an obstacle with our business or something, uh, it helps to look back at the obstacles that we've overcome in the past and be like, oh man, yeah, we didn't think we were get past that, but that was actually, it looks easy now looking back. I mean, just for motive itself, if you look back uh, over some of, I mean, you you're on what generation of vehicle are you on right now? Uh, we're on our fifth. We'll be on our sixth uh, next yeah. year. 
if you, as you look back, are there obstacles that you overcame as an organization that you look back, you're like, wow, so glad that I'm on the other side of that or really proud of that one. Yeah. One of those is, is battery technology. Um, you know, as, as you start to be a startup, as you're a startup and you're working through your business model and like I alluded to earlier, tends to pivot a little bit, you know, business plans are living and breathing documents that are, they're intended and, and they're supposed to change. Um, but when you're putting big bets behind, you know, industry changers um, and um, industry um, technologies that require a lot of money, like electrification, finding the right balance on where you really want your IP to be is a really tough decision. And, you know, we looked at motors and batteries, um, you know, the EV controllers and the, the thermal systems that go into those, um, the IP that goes around, the software that goes around that. You know, where, where can you be great at? Because, you know, being a small, small startup, you can't be all of those. Um, but you got to take, you got to take positions to, to, to provide shareholder value as well as be able to go out and tell a good story to get more money so you can continue this journey. The thing that I think has been the most difficult for us to overcome is batteries. And the reason why, it's not because the battery technologies are necessarily bad. They're just not set up for this application yet. Um, and you know, for us to go out and say nickel sodium was the best battery at the time it was, then, um, you know, then, then you come out with, um, you know, whatever the, the, the newest is today, it's lithium ion tomorrow, it's LFP. The thing that, that I think has been really good about us and we struggled with it and we tried to hold on to battery technologies probably too long. We finally realized that, you know what, if we're not a battery manufacturer, we can't be tied to a battery technology and we can't let a battery technology prevent us from doing what we feel is great. And so the thing that I think that we did really well and that we continue to do really well is that we've been coming up on six generations of batteries. We understand it. What we do and what, we, what we've learned from that is that battery technology is evolving a lot and every generation is really awesome. And for us to put forward the investment that it's required to, to automate and get robots and to actually produce batteries, very fortunate that we didn't do that because the next generation of battery that's coming out, which is LFP, has been is really we're, the kilowatt per hours that are coming out of that pack is very, very impressive. Um, and you know, if those are impressive, we're, we're we can only you know imagine what the next ones are. We also look at it from, you know. Green fleets from fossil fuels. Well, there's a lot of other things in there um, that aren't fossil fuels that are that are potentially hard on 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 our environment. Rare earth minerals, you know, that a lot of batteries go into. Um, those are the things that you know is kind of our next conquest. You know what? So that's really a big reason why we went to LFP because they're removing rare earth minerals like cobalt um, and nickel and nickel and some other things out of it. Every time those batteries get better, you're removing those things and you're you're removing those pressures off of um, those rare earth minerals that you know are used in every single consumer electronic. So I think those those technologies um, were a big sidestep. I'm very thankful that we did not do our own battery manufacturing. 
um, because I feel like we would be spending a lot of time trying to amortize a very large investment um, before we could even think about investing in the next battery technology. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, everything I've heard, it sounds like you guys have been really smart about staying in the niche that you want to be in, only doing the things that you're excellent at and only starting to venture out of it if you just have no other option, right? Versus being getting a little over your skis and saying, oh, let's just do it all because we can do it our way. And then just getting buried in sort of obligations and just biting off too much. So I, I agree. It sounds like you're doing a great job and the ecosystem is coming around you. Right. And, and mm -hmm. there's really brilliant people doing all these different things. And so just try to find your role, I think is the is, battery is companies that are out there is are, yeah. are super impressive. Um, the one that we're using is one, our next generation, um, our next energy out of Detroit. I mean, they're doing some really cool things with the LFP. Um, I, I think it's just going to continue to, to um, transform and, you know, from, from our perspective, our number one kind of enemy in this whole electrification journey is price. So, you know, that's, that's our commitment to our customers. We're, we're not going to pick a technology until we can drive it down to costs that are, that are at um, or below what they would pay for a nice vehicle today. Cause that's what they, that's what they expect. So those are the things that we constantly drive for. And, you know, if, if we commit to a technology too soon and we have to drive the volume significantly too high to be able to realize cost savings on that, then we're probably doing our customers a disservice because by the time we're able to offer them the pricing that they want, technology is probably not going to be valid anymore. So constantly making sure that you're relevant. And then when you're relevant, how long are you going to stay relevant? And based upon that time measurement, how much capital now can I put into there to maximize that opportunity? Yeah, you mentioned price as an enemy, and that makes a lot of sense. Whenever you're talking with a customer, uh, let's say it's one of the early conversations that you're having, when do you feel like they get it or they have overcome any kind of price hurdles that maybe they had in their mind? Like, when do you see it kind of click in their mind? Or is there is there a kind of a talking point that you have that's just typically more compelling? You know, when you get to that point, they're like, oh, really interesting. Like, what does that look like? You know, the conversation that I have is pretty straight up. It's not cheaper. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily go through an ROI calculation for you. I mean, if you're going to, if you'll humor me and let me go out to eight or 10 years, I could probably bring it in parity. Um, but, I, but I don't think that that would necessarily be fair for me to make that argument on paper, you know, and, and on, you know, fine print and T's and C's, you know, from all the component suppliers to us, to everyone else, in theory, it goes that long. Um, but we haven't, we don't know that it will. So for me, the thing that I focus on is I focus on them kicking off their electrification journey. And we call this a quick start. And it's not quick by any means, because, you know, given with supply chain and other things and how long um, vehicles were taking to get the people wasn't quick by any means. But the, the whole point of the whole program is to get two to five vehicles in there. And what we're going to do is we're going to base your electrification um, um, rollout on these two vehicles. And what we want to do is you want to get those in. We want to understand how they perform in route. We want to understand how the workflow is going to, to integrate in with your existing workflow and let's do it at a manageable level. And by the way, when you put your chargers in, we're not putting on pedestals. We're going to put them on wall mounts. And we're going to move them around because we don't know where, where you're going to want these things. And it's really important for the workers and the drivers and the organization to actually physically walk the miles of those learnings 
than have some guy like me saying, trust me, I, I know it all. And by the way, I've electrified these major fleets and here's here's the secret formula. It doesn't really work that way. But once once it goes, once they start to get it, once they start to understand it, and then they say, thank you for, for not doing that. And, and by the way, thank you for for making it so my, my vehicles are like 30 miles under the routes that they can drive to. Now my range anxiety is not there with my drivers. Everyone feels very comfortable about this. And so now... Once you build the comfort, once you build the efficacy, once you've walked a mile in the shoes together and you've got those hand-to-hand learnings, that's when you can then start to roll it up. And then we can start to talk about, okay, well, if we're going to do this, I get that you want to do it here because you're comfortable, but you're kind of tapped out with incentives. But these states here that I know that you're in has money. So while, while, we, while our price is still high, Let's use those incentives to get a foothold in these other areas so that as we drive prices down together, we can then come out the other side and your capital spend, um, as well as um, the efficacy of the program, should be significantly higher. By the way, I hope you get promoted along the way because you're going to deserve it. And thank you for going along this journey with me. So that's that's typically how I approach it. And you know, early on for me, it's if we want this industry to succeed, for me and my team, my number one job is to transfer knowledge, transfer knowledge all the time. And don't root for our competitors to go out of business because all of us put together, probably we would service about 10% of the market. So why do I want them to go out of business? I, I kind of actually need them to stay in the business. Um, I need people pushing us. I need people innovating um, because that's what the industry needs. And it's just really healthy. So, so those are the things, you know, when we talk to customers, we tend to be straight up with them on it. And, yep. you know, it's, it hasn't been done out there and I'm, I'm not professing that I'm a saint by any means. Um, you know, at the time they are, they may have been right or, you know, the calculation of the back of the napkin might've been right. But when you went out there and actually did it, it didn't happen. Um, and instead of doing the right things and taking care of it, maybe they just walked away and said bye or something and that left a bad taste in their mouth. So the next person has to come and clean it up, but that happens with any transformation of any industry. Um, but I, I feel like the whole in our and especially in the commercial vehicle space, we're coming out of that. Um, but I do feel like there are going to be a lot of companies that are that are going to find their doors closing because they didn't focus enough on on the customer. And they and they went public um, either through a SPAC or, or some other median and they had a lot of money. Um, and when you go into that arena and you aren't producing at the volumes that you need to so that your stock continues to go up. It's going to be a hard one, uh, and you could follow Tesla's journey um, throughout. And there's probably been a handful of instances where they were hours away from um, turning the lights off and, and shutting that company down. Yeah, um, and so it's hard. And you know, you gotta you gotta play the long game in automotive, uh, and that's I think we're going to do it well. And I think by having more of a methodical approach to it, and not having one point of failure, and giving ourselves a lot of different options. I think it'll, I think it'll lend us um, some success, but only time will tell. Yeah. The time, the time is very tricky. And you talked about it a little bit when you're talking with a potential customer, especially if you're talking about like a private company. Um, The question of when do we start our electrification journey is probably one that they have difficulty answering, right? Because you, it's great when things have a positive ROI very quickly, but sometimes it's going to take longer and sometimes you may not even get there. Right. But what's, What's the cost of waiting? What's the cost of having someone else in your industry get ahead of you on this? What, what do you think is the risk for, for someone who's saying, you know, I don't see any reason not to just kick the can down the road for another two or three years. Do you think there's a risk that they haven't identified? 
Uh, there's a lot of regulatory things that are going to bite them. Um, and that, and I and you know, as you notice, I didn't say anything about anything regulatory because I hate selling against it. Um, because I don't want people to be forced to using my product. I want them to feel like they're making the decision to use the best product. And that happens to be mine. And it just so happens to be electric. Um, but I do think that there is going to be a problem with it. Because if you haven't started your electrification journey and you're doing business in, say, California, I mean, by 2025, if you're not buying every single vehicle electric, you're going to have problems the likelihood of you becoming compliant with any regulatory demands in the state of California is going to be pretty low. Not suggesting that they want to extend it. Um, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of lobbyists going after that um, to do that. But the, the for you to not have introduced it to your organization, is going to do yourself a massive disservice. Um, understanding what the configurations are um, is going to be very important. Um, traditional classing just does not work. You don't just do, you don't just add, you know, 2,000, between two to 3,000 pounds of weight to a vehicle and then all of a sudden say, oh, it's a class four or five, six. Yeah, it is minus 2,000 pounds. Um, so now you're like, well, but I need that extra weight to carry things. So again, that's the knowledge transfer. So if you haven't gone through that, you're probably, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to be able to figure it out. And then when you do figure it out, it's going to be very costly to your to your organization, and then you're going to be fighting supply chains with those that have already figured it out. Um, so, you know, the to me the the bigger thing in this entire equation is um, is putting enough monies into the companies that are going to be left behind so that they can scale their operations, and that's you know that's going to be hard. So, our, I mean, just to give you an example, our scaling is at four x. Um, every year on the manufacturing basis, it's going to be four x next year. Um, so, it, and we're still, you know, we're already halfway through next year, and that was a four X from this year. So it's, you know, you're going to constantly see um, those that haven't been planning is really going to be hard. I mean, you know, after COVID, COVID became a planning society. Like the instant gratification things started to go away. They don't just keep stuff on the shelves anymore. Um, especially in the automotive, just in time is really a, a hard um, concept because when they're not making enough, you're just in time as I got a bunch of vehicles in a parking lot missing one part that are sitting there. And I'm still building other vehicles, by the way. I'm not stopping the lines to do this. So it's it's really kind of transformed all this. And uh, I don't know what the what the credit ac acronyms are going to be for it at that, uh, you know, in the next coming years, but um it'll be it'll be pretty fascinating to see how all this turns out. But you know, I, I get concerned about manufacturing every single day. Yeah. That the planning aspect might be the only silver lining in all that supply chain heartache was that it may have taught us to uh, to think ahead a little bit more. Yeah, as you, I hope so. As, <laughs> there's got to be silver linings in everything, right? We've just got to keep looking for them. Um, having been at Motive now for a little bit, what what do you see as the most rewarding part of all this effort that you've been applying towards it so far? Um. The most rewarding part is, is, you know, working with, you know, depot managers or fleet managers that have in essence been forced to look at an electrification initiative because of some ESG mandate from, you know, their corporate office. And, you know, it's, it becomes a white collar versus blue collar type of discussion. Um, and, 
you know, they are very adamant that these things, you know, they don't have the time for these things. And if it don't, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you get a lot of different analogies like that. Um, and, you know, trying to step in and overcome those, you know, are definitely can become a, a significant challenge. But to me, I look at those as opportunities um, to convert and the opportunities to convert, you know, when you have someone going in that that's, that, that's dug their heels in um, that deep. When you do transform them, it just makes it that much better. And, and the thing that's, you know, the, the, you know, being a gearhead, you know, myself as well. And, you know, most of these folks that you deal with are gearheads. Well, that's my first thing to, is like, all right, let's take your, let's take that ice truck and let's go find a street and let's see if you're, if your ice truck can keep <laughs> up with my electric. Let's get on an on-ramp. Let, let's see, let's see if you can keep up with me. And by the way, you can be empty and I'll be full. Are right. we cool with that? Are we cool with that? All right. You know, it's, and when they, when they get in and they, and they see that there's not a single metric that the, that the, <laughs> even on a hill, like there's nothing that, 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 uh, that, that, that ice vehicle can do that would even compete with the electric. They, they, they are quickly like, yeah, those things are pretty cool. Have you ever spun the back tires on those things? And you know, so you, so you quickly just, you know, you kind of serve up, you know, you know, some, I call them, I'm lobbing them in softballs. I know they're going to like fast. I know they're going to like torque. This thing's got all of those things. So it's going to be a new little hot rod for them to, to talk about, you know, and I can let them play around with regen. So here's these four different regen settings. So take your foot off the brake and they're like, eh, and then all of a sudden they're like really hitting it. And they're like, oh, that is so cool. That's so cool. And so I can just drive with one foot and you're like, yeah, you can drive with one foot. Um, so it's, you know, so, you know, getting them into it is sometimes hard but after you get them in there there's some things you know that you can you can taunt them with it and you know have a little bit of fun with it and when they do take the bait it's fun to watch them because you know they're doing it more because you know what actually this is gonna make my drive better this then they come back you're like dude i haven't felt this good after a drive forever like i'm usually shaking my hands or you know um are, are are shaking you know my ears are ringing it's like, I have none of that today. Like, this is great. So, you know, those are the things that I really think are are fun in this industry is taking someone that really doesn't hate it, getting them to, 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 to embrace it, and then collaborating with them because their learnings that they have tend to be really great and really unique. And they're nothing that the corporate office or the white collar side of it. So, you know, there's all of these great, you know, hugging moments, if you will, but it, we learn a lot through overcoming a lot of those initial objections. Um, and it's what I think makes this organization great is that we don't have all the right answers. And we, we by the way, before we start throwing in a lot of feature sets, we, we make sure that we have a solid MVP and then let that run. I mean, there's been a reason why we haven't had a digital dash cluster in there because our, our customers said they don't want it. Everyone else is doing it. But no one did. I was like, did anyone ask the customer if they wanted that? Because all of our customers said no. And, and all of our customers said, we want the same form factors. We want this thing to be as close to the vehicle they're driving today so that I have so that, that you're you're limiting the amount of objections that you can get over. Like we listen to that. We're just now uh, we'll go in for the digital dash clusters next year. And we got customer feedback on it. And what they want to understand is how their drivers can drive better. So it's displaying regen and how regen affects the battery, um, the range, how many miles you can drive. And then that was it. That's There was nothing else that they really wanted on that. So again, like it, just always spoon feeding them the things that they want and then stop, let them drive it, then coming back and, and, and hearing what's next. And 
and we do a really good job at that. And I, and you know, to me, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't buy these things. Um, I sell them and those, those that are buying it, I want to make sure that I'm giving them the vehicle that's going to make them the most successful and help them go out and uh, obtain their unfair share of the market. And I want to partner with those, with those kinds of uh, organizations. That's cool. I love it. Uh, I think the, in in brand strategy circles, what we talk about is, you know, if you have these sort of two sides, like what, where's the Venn diagram overlap? Like what's the shared values is, is yeah. what we talk about. Right. And you said, yeah, you found it. You, you're talking about, you know, white collar versus blue collar, but you walk in there, everybody likes speed. Everybody likes torque mm-hmm. and you don't have to think about it. You can feel it. Right. It's, you can, you can be a huge fan of muscle cars, but who's not going to sit in an EV and smile when that thing takes off. Right. Yeah. Not a lot of uh, muscle cars that can uh, the showroom floor that can beat a plaid, right? Um, you know, so I think that that's been rubbed in enough people's faces to where I think that's a pretty well known uh, topic, which helps us out. I mean, because now they're trying to validate it when they get into the vehicles, and that's what's the great part about it. And it's always fun, right? I like when people get to drive stuff, and you know, you get to be in an industry where you get to allow people to do that. Um, that to me is is a lot of fun too. It's kind of boring selling software, which I've done before. Selling zeros and ones as they magically go through the ether is um, not a bad job. I'm very successful at it, but it's always nice when you can show up with a with an automobile for them to drive. Yeah.